happy first Sunday of January. We made it. We made it. Uh, if you would grab your Bibles, Revelation chapter 4. Very familiar spot to start with, Revelation chapter 4. Revelation chapter 4 and 1 Corinthians chapter 10, if you would. Grab two spots this morning. Revelation chapter 4 and 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And maybe two passages you've never necessarily put together in your mind, but two very familiar spots, not really... uh, on familiar territory this morning on it, uh, but Revelation chapter 4, of course you have uh, heaven, right? You've got John, he's called up to the third heaven and here he is and he gets to see and he finally gets to see that throne and Jesus Christ upon the throne, he sees the four and twenty elders, he sees the four beasts and he sees them all giving glory and honor And thanks to him in verse number 9. Verse number 11, you ruin a pretty awful book on a purpose-driven life because you can't figure out what you're supposed to do by just one verse in the Bible, right? You can just toss the whole book out, just one verse will answer the question. You don't really need to, why was I here, right? Verse 11, that's it. That's why you're here. Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure... They are and were created. Uh, Ultimately, the reason you and I are here is to give God what he deserves. Uh, One of the things on that list is glory. And he he deserves glory. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse number 31. His statement here in Corinthians, Paul's statement is in verse 31... Whether therefore ye eat or drink or whatsoever ye do, do all to the glory of God. Uh, the goal in our lives ultimately is to give God glory. Uh, you say that and then the question is, well, what is glory? You know, what do, we, what do we glory? How do you give Him glory? Really, what is it and why do we do it and how do we even do it? I mean, yeah, we're supposed to do it. Uh, oftentimes we know the phraseologies of what we're supposed to do, right? I know I'm supposed to, and, but we don't know why or how to accomplish the tasks that we've been given sometimes. You ever notice that? You, well, yeah, of course, I'm supposed to do that, but I don't really know how to do that. Uh, you go ahead and, and tell a small child, I need you to do this, and they look at you like, okay, <laughs> I don't know how to do that. I've never done that before right? Uh, you, can, you can try to explain it to them and try to get them to understand and try to get them to go far enough down that road so that they actually will do what you want them to do so that they can start to understand what that task is, even the most simple of tasks. But until they understand what the words are and until they understand what they're supposed to do and until they understand how to accomplish what you want them to do, they, they have no concept. I find most people don't have, right? We is all the time in church, right? Uh, I want you to get right with the Lord. Okay, how do I get right with the Lord? And all of you probably started going, okay, well, you have to, right? But, on, but there was a time in your life, if someone was like, man, you just need to get right with the Lord. You were like, huh? What does that mean? Right? We look at people and we tell lost folks all the time, right? You need to get saved. Okay, what, what does that mean? Nicodemus, you must be born again. Can I enter the second time into my mother's womb and be born? He's going, I don't know what you're talking about. What do you mean by that? Uh, all the time, we're, we deal with things in our lives where some people, they say certain things and they say certain phrases and all they're doing is saying the phrase that they know they need to say. They don't, they don't know how to do, they just know what they're supposed to say about it. And I think the sad reality is that one of the things a Christian is supposed to be, and granted all creation is supposed to, 
But one of the things that a Christian should be able to do is to be able to figure out, how do I give God glory? How do I glorify Him? Well, for Him to be glorified, really glory means uh, ultimately, I kind of boiled down the definition a little bit because otherwise you have like 20 definitions for the word glory, right? And then you try to get them all. So ultimately, uh, glory uh, gives praise, adoration, and honor for someone's splendor and magnificence. They are amazing, ultimately, and I am going to tell you why they are amazing. I'm going to show you why they are amazing. That gives them glory. Pointing everything to Jesus Christ gives him glory. That's the idea. The idea is, how do I make him look as good as he actually is? That's glorifying somebody. Holding them up and showing how great they are, that's glorifying. Right? If you want to go ahead and abase somebody, you try to make them look as terrible as you possibly can. If you try to glorify somebody, you try to make them look as high as you possibly can. That's the idea. So how does a Christian actually accomplish that? How does a human being, one of God's creation, how do we go ahead and make him look as good as possible, as magnificent as we possibly can? And his statement here in Corinthians is simple. Whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. Everything you do then could be brought under the idea that you can give God glory. Even something as simple as eating lunch today, you can give God glory. Isn't that weird? Anybody else think that's a, a strange thing? Like even eating lunch this afternoon, we're giving God some glory. Most people go, well, you can only give God glory if you show up to church. You can only give God glory if you, you know, pray and you only get to give God glory if you're a witness. And you only get to give God, nope, that's not what he said. If, this, if eating lunch today doesn't give him glory, then you did something wrong. You didn't do it right. Isn't that, are we good? <laughs> or am I just blowing everybody's mind this morning? We're okay, right? That's what he said, whether you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. So I'm, I'm, I'm just going by what the Bible said right there, right? So we can do all the things that we do then can bring God glory. The question is, why don't we? Well, because I think part of it is we have no idea how to. We don't know what we're doing. We don't know how to take what we have and what we do and transform that into how can I give God glory because we don't think Him glory. We're just thinking this is normal and mundane. I mean, it's just eating lunch. What are we doing? And God says, no, no, you can give me glory even just having a sandwich today. You can still figure out a way to give me glory. And I think part of it is we just don't understand it. We don't understand how can I do that all the way and all the time, and a lot of times, it's real simple, and it's nothing fancy. Just like your lunch might not be anything fancy, but the truth is, it doesn't have to be fancy to give God glory. Sometimes it's really simple to give Him glory, and I think we overlook the simple, and instead, try to make this into something that is really, it's really not. I mean, you don't have to make it difficult, right? Lost people do that with salvation. They, they try to complicate salvation, and the Lord's like, I made that as simple as I possibly could so that people like me could go ahead and get it. Because if you didn't make it simple, I wouldn't get it. If it was complicated, most people wouldn't even be able to accomplish to get it. Then they complicate it, and they miss the whole simplicity of the gospel, the simplicity that is in Christ. Realize, I don't think God is making it difficult for us to give Him glory. He's worthy of all the glory. So then why would he make it hard for you to be able to give it to him? And so let's look at some places today. We're going to, I'll try and get through all of it. I think I can. Uh, just try and look at some places where God got glory and why, why he got it. What gives him glory? And maybe we can learn some, some ways where we can get him the most glory we can. If we can try and be a little bit, little bit more. I think if he gets glory out of our lives... Uh, I think that makes it a whole lot better for him and a whole lot better for us. And so as a Christian, I, Jesus is all the world to me. You just sang it this morning. Well, that means I want to give him some glory. And so if I can optimize how much glory he gets out of my life, that'll be a good thing. 
So let's go to the Lord in prayer and we'll maybe see some things that could help us do all those things. Father, I do pray you would meet with us today. Lord, strengthen us and help us. I know, Father, the roads were pretty rough for many coming in and Father, the weather wasn't very cooperative today, but I pray you'd bless especially those who, who made the choice and decided to be here and hear from the Word of God, and I pray you'd give me wisdom as I speak it and as I preach it. Father, I thank you for all that you do for us, and I pray, Lord, that each one of us would be able to give you, Lord, maybe a little bit more glory day in and day out in all that we do and all that we say. Father, I pray that you'd, uh, Lord, work in our hearts and in our lives. We love you, and we pray you'd come back soon in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you would turn back to Joshua, the book of Joshua, chapter 7. Joshua chapter 7. Joshua chapter 7. Now you know what's happening in the book of Joshua. I'm... I'm I'll make a couple of assumptions here that you know a little bit about the history of the nation of Israel, right? Joshua's in charge, he's in command. Joshua chapter 7 is a pretty big chapter in the Bible, of course. Uh, you've got chapter 6 with the walls of Jericho falling. Chapter 7 is the problem, right? The problem that shows up after the great victory at Jericho. <coughs> Excuse me. And you, so you've got the sin that has shown up, right? The sin of Achan. Uh, they were told not to touch anything. Everything in that battle is the Lord's. Don't take it. Don't do it. The Lord gets all of it. That's his. The rest of the battles, you're going to get everything. This battle is the Lord's. He gives you this great victory over Jericho. He gets all the benefits. And, of course, Achan steals, right? He takes, he takes the raiment, he takes it, and he puts it under his tent, and he hides it, and everybody's, and they're trying to figure out, right? The men go to Ai, that little tiny place, and they all get whooped, right? And they get sent home, and they're going, what happened? And Joshua falls down, and he's like, Lord, I don't know what happened. And he's like, Joshua, get up off your face. Get up. What are you doing? There's a problem. You know better than to just get down in front of me and whine and complain at me, Joshua. Get up and go figure out what the problem is. There's sin in there. Go fix it. And, of course, what do they do? Well, they, they do the lot, right? They cast it down, and they get all the way down to the family, and they get all the way down, right? They whoop, start limiting it down, tribes and families and down, and it gets down to Achan, and it goes to Achan. And look what Joshua says in verse number 19. Joshua seven nineteen, And Joshua said unto Achan, my son... Give, I pray, the glory to the Lord God of Israel and make confession unto him and tell me now what thou hast done. I did not from me. You know what gives God glory? If you'd confess what you do wrong. You say, how does that give God glory? Because it proves to him that you know that, it, that he's right and you're wrong. Right? David, Psalm 51, against thee and thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight. The understanding, why does that give God glory? It gives God glory because you know that he's right. And what you have done is the wrong thing. You know, when there's sin and there's a problem, you know what gives God glory? Confession. Confession will give God some great glory. So yeah, but I messed up. Whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. All means even when I've made my mistakes. How can God get glory out of my mistakes? I'll tell you how he can. Confess that you did them wrong. That gives him glory. Say, ah, how can God make my mistakes into something amazing? You're an example of it. How does God take wicked people like me and you and make it so we can have a sinless heaven? Well, the first thing we have to do is confess we've been going the wrong way. We were doing it wrong. That's the first thing that he does for us. We realize I'm a sinner and I need a savior. And then we get to Philippians chapter 2. Shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Well, why do we do that? To the glory of God the Father. When we realize that we need to confess our sins, 
because He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. When we figure out that we've done it wrong, we confess that we've done it wrong, and in doing so, we also then hold up Jesus Christ to the position of exactly who He is. That Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. All that gives God glory. Our mistakes, we can get God glory out of our mistakes. Say, so how do we do that? By confessing that we did it wrong. Isn't that amazing? God can figure out how to get glory even when you have failed. Because your failures don't take away from His greatness. We fail and we sin and we fall down and we all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. He is marvelous. He is majestic. He is exactly who he, he is absolutely full of splendor. He is holy. He is in high regard. <coughs> Excuse me. We hold him up in such a status and you and I don't attain to his glory. Because we have sinned. Because we have fallen short. And you know what You know what makes it so that we can give him any glory back? Recognizing it. God, I know I'm not sinless, but you are. God, I know I'm not holy, but you are. God, I know I'm not good enough to be in heaven, but you are. God, I know that I have failed, but you've never failed me. There's not a day that's gone by that the Lord's arm is not shortened that he cannot save. He, he's not short. He, he doesn't come up short. He never has and he never will. You know what you can do? You can go ahead and make it into the glory of confessing. You can take even our greatest failures. You know what they become? An opportunity to glorify God. We confess our sins and we confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And you get to Romans chapter 10 and you get your confession, right? If, we, if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. The right confession gives God glory. <coughs> Excuse me. Still fighting the wonderment of whatever this is. And so... God is looking, and you know what He wants? He wants glory. Well, yeah, but I've failed. doesn't matter. You can still get God glory even in your failure. <laughs> Wonderful. <laughs> because He is so magnificent that He wants to save you even in your failures. That's part of what makes Him such an amazing God. That's what makes Him so worthy of glory. And us giving him that glory. What makes him so wonderful about, about it on this aspect is that even though he is sinless, he has done everything that needs to be done so that a sinful man can step into a sinless heaven. It is God that deviseth the means that a man be not banished, or be not expelled far from him forever. It is God that has devised the plan. It's God who's come up with the way so that a lost, wicked, vile sinner can have a sinless, perfect Savior and step into a righteous, holy place like heaven for all of eternity. That gives him such glory. Because who else can go ahead and do something like that? Who can forgive sins but God alone? That's what gives him glory. To do things that nobody else can do, that's just what he is. That's how he always seems to work. He seems to go ahead and take the things that are impossible with men and make them possible with God. You say, what's so impossible? Making me clean? I can't do that. But he sure can. Say, so how does that give him? When you fail, you know what gives him glory? Confessing it and confessing who he is in light of it and asking him to forgive you. What a wonder. What a wonder. Look over at Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4.
Romans chapter 4. We have Abraham, right? I'm not going to read the whole chapter just for the sake of time. I don't want to do that. Uh, but you've got, of course, Abraham, the father of faith, right? And here he is, and he, you know, is going to get the promise and all the things. And he says this in verse, oh, number, uh, verse number eight. Who against hope believed in hope. Or verse 18, I'm sorry. Uh, who against hope believed in hope that he might become the father of many nations according to that which was spoken, so shall thy seed be. And being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body now dead when he was about an hundred years old. Neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God. And being fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was able also to perform. And therefore it was imputed to him for righteousness. Now it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed unto him, uh, but for us also to whom it shall be imputed, if we believe on him that raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. Uh, you know what gives God glory? Faith. Faith gives him glory. He says in verse number 20, He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God. Abraham's there, right? He's a hundred years old. He's like, I can't, you know, am I going to have a kid when I'm this old? Sarah, her womb's dead. How are we having a kid? There's no way this is happening. God said it's going to happen. And the answer is, okay, well then, if God's word says it, I'll do it. Faith in, in his what God told him later right a few chapters later Genesis chapter 22 you get to one of the greatest moments in in all of Abraham's history and one of the greatest pictures of Jesus Christ and the sacrifice he's going to make is the offering of Isaac and what does Abraham do he just listens to the word of the Lord the word of the Lord shows up get the out of get the you know go to Moriah and you're going to sacrifice your son. And he says, okay. And he gets in and he goes. He's ready to kill his own son. Say, why? Because he, he trusted in God's word, right? We get that in Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 11, right? He, he had so much faith that God's word must be true that he came up with the only answer he possibly could that if I kill him, God has to raise him from the dead. Because God promised me Isaac... And I'm so confident that I will still have Isaac and I will still have him when all this is done that the only way God can be right in telling me to kill him is if he raises him back up from the dead and gives him back to me. You talk about confidence in what God said. That's some serious confidence. That is some serious faith in the word of God to be able to say, God, you promised me that son Isaac. Now you're telling me to kill Isaac. Well, the only way you can have both of those is if you raise them from the dead. That's a leap of logic right there. Does your brain work like that? Mine doesn't. He'd have told you that second thing probably like he would have told me, and we'd have both gone, no, that doesn't work. We'd have started arguing. Right? You ever, see, you ever seen two contradicting things happening at the same time in the Bible, right, and start arguing about it? You go, uh, Lord, you said you'd provide all my need according to your riches and glory by Christ Jesus, and Lord, you're not meeting my need. What's wrong with you? Isn't that what we do? Lord, I wanted this and you didn't give it to me, and you said that if I pray in faith, nothing wavering, that you'd give it to me. If you ask anything in my name, I will give it to you. And I asked and you didn't give. Two contradicting things. And we look at it over and over and we argue with God and you know what the answer is? Trust what he said. Say, so, yeah, but the problem is I don't like what he said. That's your problem. Mm -hmm. 
You know what he said? He said, he'll answer you. Sometimes his answer is no. And if you don't have it, the answer is you didn't need it. And the other problem is you probably wanted to consume it upon your own lusts. And it wasn't going to give him any glory, so he didn't give it to you. And away it goes. Away it goes. You know what the problem is? You don't have faith in his word. Because if you had faith in his word, look over at Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1. Philippians 1, look at verse number 9. Philippians 1, 9, And this I pray that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment, that you may approve things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ, unto the glory and praise of God. But I would, you should understand, brethren, that the things which happened unto me have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel, so that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace and in all other places, and many of the brethren in the Lord, waxing confident by my bonds, are much more bold to speak the word, of, the word without fear. Of course, he's got those that preach of Christ of contention and so on as well. You know what his answer about that glory is? He says that he wants them to go ahead and bring forth, be filled with, verse 11, the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ unto the glory and praise of God. And then he says, so that they would understand the things that are happening to him and the bondage that he's been put in is all for the furtherance of the gospel. It's understanding that the will of God in your life, you can trust by faith that what God is doing in your life and the way that He is working in your life will bring forth righteous fruit. It'll bring forth the right things in your life. That's Paul's equation right there. The fruits of righteousness. And then he says, because guess what? I'm in the bonds. I'm in trouble but it's for the furtherance of the gospel. I can trust that God has me in bonds now so that I can give Him glory even in my bondage. Even in prison, I can bring God glory. And so the fruit of righteousness gives God glory. Well, that means what you're producing must be righteous fruit that gives God glory. That's His will for you, isn't it? He wants them to know Approve things that are excellent. That's what they're supposed to do in verse number 10. They're supposed to abound with their love in knowledge and in all judgment. Verse 9. They're supposed to do these things. Why? So that they can get the fruit of righteousness in their life. So that everybody will see and that the gospel will be given further. Willing to go, hey, whether it's bondage and servitude and trouble and trials and afflictions, those things, I can trust that even if I'm in those problems, God's allowing me in those problems so that He can get glory. You know what a wonderful fruit of righteousness is? God getting glory. Yeah, but I don't know why I'm going through these things. Well, you could go to John chapter 11. We won't take a time. John chapter 11, right? The disciples, Jesus and his disciples, they're walking up. And there's the man that's born blind. And the disciples ask the logical question. Who sinned? Who sinned that this man was born blind? Was it him? Was it his parents? Who's wicked so that this guy got blindness? And Jesus' reply in verse number 4 is very apparent. Neither. He was born blind. Why? For the glory of God. And then he heals him. Say, why am I going through this? This doesn't seem fair to me. Think it's fair that that guy was born blind? 
I don't know how old he was, but he was a man. So he's over the age of 20. He's been over 20 years blind. 20 years he's sacrificed his sight for the day that he would see Jesus. Why did he have to go through that for 20 years? For the glory of God. That's why the sufferings of this present moment are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. See, our sufferings and all the things, the Lord's will is done. And if you'd be willing to trust, have faith that what God is doing in your life will bring Him glory, you can go ahead and be okay with whatever circumstances you're in. That's why Paul can make the statement in Philippians 4, I have learned to be content whatsoever state I am. Therewith, to be content. It doesn't matter if I've got it all, and it doesn't matter if I've got nothing, because all I need is Jesus Christ and His blessings upon me. If I have that, and I know I'm doing what I'm supposed to do, then the fruit of righteousness will shine forth. I will give God glory, and He will be able to work in my life. But instead, we murmur and complain and grumble and gripe, and we hate it, and we hate it, and we hate it. And God says, how's that getting me any glory? Well, it's not. You're giving His glory to another. You're limiting the greatness of who He is. Now, I'm not a Calvinist. I'm not one of those people who go, well, you know, everything happens because God foreordained it to happen. No, but He allowed it. He allowed you to sin. Right? You had the choice. You know what he did? He made it so you could confess it and get him glory. Well, you know what he can do? He can take the most difficult, horrible, terrible problems you and I have and still get himself glory. Can you trust? I know I hate the verse when we're going through troubles, right? But all things work together for good to them that love God. Could you trust that he can work that all out still? That you're not at the end of the road? That the troubles and the trials are always there, but man is born under trouble as the sparks fly upward. Man is few days and full of troubles. But God can take any of our troubles whenever He'd like and turn them into the greatest blessings of your life. Job's statement about it was, when I'm tried, I shall come forth as gold. Now, I don't really like the trials and the troubles. Yeah, but the trials and the troubles can bring Him glory. Question, did the death of Jesus Christ bring God glory? I mean, none of us, none of us would be able to go, no, that wasn't, that wasn't giving God any glory. That's crazy. The death of his son gave him the most glory because it proved his love for a world. It proved his love for you and I. And it sealed the victory ultimately, the payment that you and I needed for our sins that we could never pay for ourselves. That gives him glory. Three days later, he comes up from a grave and seals the absolute justification for all of our sins. And then that gives God more glory. But that's why he can make the statement, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Because even in our death, he can still get glory. Would you have faith in His Word that it's true? Would you have faith in His will that it's right? And would you have faith in His work that He can get the job done? This man born blind, I could fix that. You realize God's work is always perfect. It's just always in His time. You and I, I, we don't do perfect work. Brother Bacon and I are slight perfectionists at time. We find when we try to get things too perfect, it makes it worse. You go past that perfect spot and go right back down into the abyss of whatever it is you were trying to get out of, right? Just push, oh, I tried just a little. Why? Because we're not. But he is. 
And he that hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. He's still working. We mentioned it. I, nobody likes to pray for patience, right? Nobody, that's a terrible plan, right? There's a verse, there's certain verses I really dislike in the Bible. I'm not the only one. There's no way I'm the only one. There's one verse, right, that says, let patience have her perfect work. Right? I don't like that verse. But you know what you learn? That patience has a perfect work. And if we had the patience we were supposed to have, that'd be a completion that you and I would be amazed at. But we don't let it have its work. Why do I need more patience? Because the Lord's that patient with you. Let's go over to First Corinthians or First Chronicles. I'm sorry. First Chronicles. First Chronicles and First Corinthians are two very different books. Not only in very different locations, but very different in their content. First, First Chronicles, chapter sixteen. First Chronicles chapter 16. David, of course, is bringing in the ark and worshiping and doing those things. And he says, First Chronicles 16, verse number, uh, oh, how do you jump in the middle of this? Verse, uh, verse 23. That's as that's as far back as I'm going to go. Verse 23. Sing unto the Lord all the earth. Show forth from day to day His salvation. Declare His glory among the heathen. His marvelous works among all nations. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He also is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the people are idols. But the Lord made the heavens. Glory and honor are in His presence. Strength and gladness are in His place. Give unto the Lord, ye kindreds of the people. Give unto the Lord glory and strength. Give unto the Lord the glory due unto His name. Bring an offering and come before Him. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Fear before Him all the earth. The world also shall be stable, that it be not moved. Let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. And let men say among the nations, the Lord reigneth. Let the sea roar in the fullness thereof. Let the fields rejoice in all that is therein. Then shall the trees of the woods sing out the presence of the Lord, because he cometh to judge the earth. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endureth forever. I'm going to stop there, otherwise we're going to keep going. Um, ultimately, he is talking about giving God glory. It's repeated again in the Psalms, of course, Psalm 96. And you could go ahead and, and talk about it. But ultimately, what David is bringing in as he brings in the, the art. He's trying to encourage the people ultimately giving God worship gives him glory. Worship. And what's involved in worship is not just I showed up to church. Uh, that's not worship. It's part of worship, I would say. Uh, singing, right? You get these newfangled uh, contemporary weirdo churches. So that's as nice as I'm going to get, all right? And they go, well, we're going to have worship and the Word. Those are not two separate things. What I'm doing right now is part of worship. This is all part of worship. What we do on a Sunday morning, what we do on a Sunday night, what we do on a Wednesday, that's all part of worship. It's all part of what we are doing to give God worship and glory. It's how we do the things that He asked us to do. It's all part of it. It's all pieces of it. Uh, one, first of all, he said this. He said an offering. In verse number 29, notice, notice what he said. Give unto the Lord the glory due unto His name. Then he puts a colon there. Now, normally that colon will indicate, how do I do what I just was told? Right? It's going to be the breakdown. And he says this. Uh, bring an offering and come before Him. 
Old Testament, we understand, right? If you were going to come to the temple and you wanted to show up to the temple, <coughs> excuse me, you had to bring in your offering. You literally had to bring, right? You had to bring a lamb or the turtle doves or whatever the, the bullock at the time, whatever it was, the offering that had to be, you had to bring the bullock, you had to bring the offering, it had to get sacrificed, you had to do all these things. That was what they had to do. That was an automatic. Bring the offering. You say, well, what is it in the New Testament? I mean, we could talk about money. I'm not talking about money. Because you know what the church at Philippi did? The Macedonians, they first gave of their own selves. The New Testament, Romans chapter 12, we present our bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is our reasonable service. We bring us as the offering. You and I show up, and you know what we're supposed to do? We're supposed to bring the offering, me. I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. I'm supposed to be the sacrifice. The New Testament, the sacrifice is, I come in and I give myself and I present me. You talk about worship. That's a good start to worship. You show up to church, you know what you do? The first thing you ought to do before you walk into the doors is already be ready to be offered. What does that mean? That means His will, according to His word, in His way. Lord, what would you have me to do? That means when the singing happens and the Lord touches your heart, you're willing to do what He asked. When the preaching happens and the Lord touches your heart, you do what He asks. Invitation time comes. There's a reason that I really, you wouldn't bother me one bit if you came up here while I was preaching. You wouldn't bother Brother Kevin, Brother Andrew when they're leading, whoever's leading. You wouldn't bother them one bit. You come down and you, you need to pray. You need to talk to the Lord. You need to do something. Why? Come down. We talk about this being the altar, right? People get all nervous when you say the word altar or something. I don't know why. But you, come, you say, why do we come and why do we use an altar? Because that's where the sacrifice happens. But in the New Testament, the sacrifice is me. I'm the sacrifice. So we come down to an altar and we offer ourselves. We go, hey, God, whatever you asked of me, that's what I'll do. That's, I will do it. I will go ahead and undertake what you've asked of me. I will undertake what you... Lord, you are asking, you're commanding, you're telling, we're talking. You know what I'll do? I'll surrender to whatever it is you asked of me. We sing, take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. Take my moments and my days. Let them flow in ceaseless praise. We, we want Him to get glory. We want Him... You say, what's the first part of worship? Me. <laughs> me, you. You're the, you're the first part. For you, it's you. For me, it's me. And if we're not ready to worship and we're not ready to step in, God's not getting any glory out of a service. At least not from you. If you're not willing to go, it's me. <laughs> I'll give me. We sing corporately. We do the congregational singing. I'm going to get into some other stuff here in a moment. We, we do the congregational singing. You ought to lift up your voice while we're singing. Amen. Well, I'm not real good. I didn't ask you to sing a solo. Please, if you can't sing, don't do it up here, all right? Please. It's not what I'm asking. But there's a time when corporately together we sing, we raise our voices. And sometimes we make a joyful noise. Amen. And other times it's a beautiful one. But we ought to be able to sing praises unto our God. He's worthy of it. He's worthy of, notice, not just the offering, the worship. Part of what that worship is is our praise. We'll get to that here in a moment. Our praises. We come in, the reason we do these things is because we've come in to offer ourselves. You know, I, I believe this thoroughly. Brother Andrew leads. Brother Kevin's leading today. Brother James sometimes leads. I lead. I guarantee you that if someone's leading the singing in the church, you know what they've done? They've prayed, Lord, what, what do you want us to sing today? Just like I geared up before this, just like Brother Rumsey's going to be geared up before tonight, just like whoever gets up to preach, you know what they've done? They've prayed, Lord, what do you want me to say? What do you want me to preach? What are we doing today? How can we, how can I help? How can it, how can it all flow together? How can you, what do you want to do today? We'll say, yeah, but they didn't sing my favorite. Okay. 
Today they sung the Lord's favorite. I'm sorry. Like, that's what he wanted today, right? That's the goal. The goal is that we're trying to, the, the ones leading the singing and the ones playing the instruments and the ones doing all the things that we do. Say, so what are we trying to do? We're trying to do it the way God wanted us to do it today, right? Let all things be done decently and in order. I am not a Southerner. And in so doing, I'm not like, well, bless God, we're going to let the Lord lead and there's no order of anything. I hate that. It drives me nuts. God is not the author of confusion. All right? There should be an order of things. If the order changes, don't worry about it. I'm all for it. Hey, every once in a while, we sing one more. We sing another verse. We switch up the order sometimes and do different things. That's fine with me. I don't care. It doesn't bother me. You know what I want? I want God to be worshipped. And that starts with me being willing. Me, me being willing to listen to what he says, me being willing to do what he asks, me being willing to go, hey, you know what? I'm going to join in in that congregational singing. I'm going to join in when he's preaching. I'm going to join in by listening. That gives God glory. That you would listen to me somehow gives God glory. But the reason you're listening is not because you want to hear me. It's because hopefully I give you what he wanted you to hear from him. And so you're listening and you're listening for the voice of God to speak to you. And when he speaks to you, you know what you get to do? You get to worship him one more time. We do the invitation and we sing and we come down to the altar and we make one more offering. You say, what's that last offering? Lord, you said something to me today that I didn't, I didn't know I was supposed to be doing or I didn't know I shouldn't have been doing or I could be trying to do something or Lord, you just, you just blessed me so much that I just want to come down and thank you and praise you. Because sometimes our offering is an offering of praise and thanksgiving to our God. And you come down and you just say, Lord, you've just been so good to me. You're amazing. And I don't deserve any of it. But you're good. And you're great. And you know what I'll do? I'll bring an offering so that I can give you glory. How about that? We worship him to give him glory. It's all part of the offering. The offering is there and the offering is there and it's me. Because I'm supposed to give him glory. And what greater way can I give him glory than offering myself to resign to his will, his way, his words. And to confess I didn't do it right. To bring him glory. Look over at Isaiah 42. Isaiah 42. I'm almost done. Isaiah 42. How amazing of a God you have. Isaiah 42, verse number 8. I am the Lord. That is my name. That's just fantastic. I don't know what else to say. I am the Lord. That is my name. And my glory will I not give to another, neither my praise to graven images. Behold, the former things are come to pass, and new things do I declare. Before they spring forth, I tell you of them. Sing unto the Lord a new song and his praise from the end of the earth, that ye that go down to the sea and all that is therein, the isles and the thereof let the wilderness and the cities thereof lift up their voice the villages that Kedar doth inhabit let the inhabitants of the rocks sing let them shout from the top of the mountains let them give glory unto the Lord and to declare his praise in the islands and we could keep reading I won't uh, but the truth is you know what you need not only do you have an offering when you worship you have praise when you worship uh Day in and day out, you know what you can do? You don't have to be at church to praise Him. The heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament show this handiwork. You, you could be anywhere you want to and you know what you can do? You can praise Him for all the greatness that He is and all that He does. 
You can praise him and you can praise him and you can praise him and you can pra- you just keep telling everybody how great he is and how wonderful he is and how majestic he is and how he just rules in majesty and power and might. How holy and wonderful it is to have a God that would save you even though you're so terrible. God is so wonderful that he would save a wretch like me and he would go ahead and pay the debt of all of my sins at Calvary and raise from the dead to give me eternal life and hand me the justification of life that I don't deserve and be able to... But not only that, you know what you get to do? You get to praise Him when you look out at the treasures of the snow. And I know it was annoying this morning, and the drive wasn't the greatest. But you know what you can do? You can look out there and you can go, boy, that's clean. You know, that first snowfall, you finally get to see something that's clean and white. You know what that ought to remind you of? The day He made you clean and white. I don't like the snow. We like the snow for about five minutes. Then we're tired of moving it, right? And then we just move it. You know, you look out there, you know what you can do? You can praise Him for a beautiful creation. You can praise Him for the fact, you know what? The snow is here today, but it will probably be gone by the end of the week, so you can praise Him. Amen? You can praise Him, you can praise him because you know what? All that is doing is just making sure you've got water later. You can praise Him. Lord, it's amazing what you've made out there. You can praise Him because if it gets cold enough, you don't have to worry about a mosquito. All right? You can praise Him. You can find ways to praise Him. What is He doing? He's just being wonderful. He's just being wonderful. You just have to think of it differently. Our problem is we're real quick to grumble and complain. Instead of being real quick to praise the wonderful God who made us. You can, you can go ahead and say, well, God, you know, I'm hurting too much today and I don't feel the greatest and things are awful and it's terrible and I just wish. Or you could go, God, I'm really glad you made it so I could still stand up today. I could still walk into church today. I could still be here because you're a wonderful God and you still sustain me. You can find ways to praise him, but we decide we don't want to. And God says, I don't want to give my glory to another. And we give it away far too often. Look over at thank, at Second Corinthians. Second Corinthians, last spot this morning. Second Corinthians chapter four. He's talking about giving out the gospel early in the chapter, right? He's talking about preaching about Jesus Christ and not ourselves. He's talking about all those things and the persecutions and the troubles for what we have gone through. In verse number 13, he says this, 2 Corinthians 4, 13, We have the same spirit of faith. According as it is written, I believed and therefore have I spoken. We also believe and therefore speak, knowing that he which raised up the Lord Jesus shall raise up us also by Jesus and shall prevent us, uh, present us with you. For all things are for your sakes, that the abundant grace might through the thanksgiving of many redound to the glory of God. For, we, for which cause we faint not, but though our outward man perish, Yet the inward man is renewed day by day. For a light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight and glory. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are not are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. You know what he's saying? He's saying, you know what gives God glory? You know what gives him redounding glory? Just keeps reverberating. Bouncing back off, going. You know what just keeps building his glory? Thanksgiving. That's why one of the earmarks of the last days is that we're unthankful. Unthankful people. That's, that's perilous times. What are they? Unthankful people. That's a good earmark. You know, the Christian has no reason to be unthankful. You, you know who to thank. You know how much he's given you, so you know why you should thank him. 
And you know the best way is to thank Him. How do I do that? Just thank Him. What a wonder to thank you, Lord. And we look around and we, we just get so, so spoiled, so, oh, just give me, give me, give me. Just, we're not even needy, we're just whiny little brats half the time. Lord, why didn't you do that for me? And how come they got that? And how come I didn't get that? And I want it. And that's how we deal with it. And the Lord's going, look at everything I gave you. You don't need any of that. I gave you way more than that. You're just too busy looking at what everybody else has instead of being thankful for what you have. And we go, but I want a better phone, and I want a better car, and I want a better, and I want, and how come, and we get all whiny and complainy, and the Lord's like, why should I give you anything else? I don't like whiny. I don't. Uriah's learning real quick, I don't like whiny. He needs to learn it a little faster. Pray for him. I don't like whiny. I, I just, I hate it. I hate hearing it when you're at the store with somebody else's kids. I hate it even more if I hear my kid, right? It's awful. At least I can do something about my kid being whiny when I can't do something about theirs. Can you imagine how the Lord feels? When you've been given eternal life and forgiveness. When you've been given the word of God so you know exactly what to do when you've been given all of the blessings it is just to be an American, when you've been given all of the goodness that you have and you look up at him and go, I want more. When he's provided and provided and provided and you say, what you've given me isn't good enough. That's how we act. We act like, Lord, you haven't done enough for me. You need to hurry this up. You need to get... And you know what he says? He says, even through our light afflictions, even through our troubles, even through our persecutions, even through, you know what we have? We can still give God thanks. Paul is not light on the fact that in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. You know why you can give God praise? You know why you can get God glory? You know why you can be so uh, and no matter what situation you're in, you can figure out how to give Him glory. It's real simple because you can be thankful for everything. So when you sit down to lunch today and all you've got is a peanut butter sandwich and some crackers, say, thank you, Lord. i got a peanut butter sandwich and some crackers. I'm not starving. And if you're sitting down to T-bone steaks this afternoon and a nice little ribeye or whatever, you know what you can say? Praise God, I'm eating steak. Thank you, Lord, for being so good to me. It doesn't matter. You can be eating lobster and or you can be eating ramen. <laughs> Having a cup of noodles. You know what you can have? You can have the you can have God getting glory out of your life either way. But it's the choice of the Christian whether you're going to choose to give God glory or you're not. You already know you're made to give Him glory. That's why He made you. And you already know you're supposed to give Him glory in whatever you do. But I think most of the time we don't even think about how can I give Him glory. So He doesn't get very much from us. I hope today you found at least something you can do to get Him some glory today. And maybe some more glory tomorrow. And maybe the next time something happens, you may be able to go, you know what, God? I'm going to see if I can get you some glory even though I don't like it. What a wonder. Why? Because he's worthy of every bit of glory you could possibly give him. Let's go ahead and stand. If you're in here this morning, I don't know of anybody. But maybe you're in here this morning, you've never asked Jesus Christ to be your Savior. I pray you wouldn't leave that way. I pray you'd... Give God as much glory as possible right here. You know, the greatest thing that will give God glory is a lost sinner calling upon Jesus Christ. 
recognizing they're a sinner and say, you know what, I'm going to confess. Like Achan, I'll confess what I've done. And I'll confess that Jesus Christ is Lord and I'll call upon him to save me. If you've already done that, Christian, you've got plenty, you've got plenty to be thankful for. You've got plenty to worship him for. You've got plenty to go ahead and have faith and confidence and trust that he's got it all under control. And so it's up to you whether he'll get glory. He's worthy and you know it. Hopefully you'll give him some. If you're lost in here, we ask that you come, get my attention, open a Bible and show you the truth about Jesus Christ saving you forever if you'd want it. If you're saved in here, I hope the Lord's getting as much glory as you can give him. If not, find a new way to pump out some more glory and get him the praise he deserves because he's worthy of every ounce you can get. Father, I do pray you'd bless our day. Thank you for those that have come out. I pray if someone here is lost, they'd call upon Jesus Christ today. They'd give us a chance to show them out of the Bible how they can know their sins are forgiven forever. Lord, each one of us, I pray we'd be able to give our God all the glory we possibly can in this life because you're worthy of each bit of it. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.